Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. And you can always email us at bcthebeatles@gmail.com. That's bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, we've got a special episode today. Something new. Eric and I are looking at each other. If you don't know, um, we record the show bi-coastally. Erica is in New York. I'm in Los Angeles. Pretty cool. Pretty cool yeah. to uh, introduce this feature on such a cool episode. Yeah, yeah. This is a special episode because we are celebrating Pride Month. This episode, we're stepping back from the mic to hear from three Beatles fans from the LGBTQ community who got together with us to discuss the Beatles' impact on their lives, as well as the fandom itself from a queer perspective. Yeah, and so to introduce our guests, we're going to tell you a little bit about them and jump right into the convo. So Caitlin Larkin is a lifelong Beatles fan who, by the age of 10, was given the nickname the Beatle Nut, which I'm jealous of, for beating grown-ups at Beatles trivia. Good job. Originally from Long Island, New York, she currently resides in Orlando, Florida, where she gives VIP tours of Beatles memorabilia at the world's largest hard rock cafe at Universal City Walk. Her YouTube channel, where she discusses her personal Beatles memorabilia and vinyl collection, as well as Beatles-related news and unboxings, has 800-plus subscribers, and she's also a host of the Back the Future-themed podcast, What the Flux. Amazing name. Caitlin, yeah, I know. Caitlin lives in Florida, where she's married to her wife of five years, Angela, and yeah, basically has the coolest job of all time. She does. Did I tell you we have a mutual friend in common? No. It's so weird. She's from Long Island, as the bio said, and she actually went to, I think, elementary school with one of my brother's best friends from high school, Dee. So we both um, we both commented on one of Dee's posts on Facebook. It was like, oh my God, how do you know? Like, ah. So, yeah. That's so weird when that happens. I've really had that happen cool. too, where it's like a total rando is like your mutual friend and it's just like worlds colliding. It, the world is so small. It's really freaky. Seriously. It's crazy. Hmm. Crazy times. Our next guest, March Doherty, is an independent contractor with the mass media conglomerate Viacom CBS, as well as the owner of Dixon Doherty Personal Property Appraisals, where she specializes in pop culture and entertainment memorabilia, including, of course, Beatles collectibles. As a mm -hmm. former television producer for VH1, Marge interviewed some of the biggest names in music and movies, creating long and short form entertainment programming. Yeah, she interviewed some pretty uh, superstar -y people. We'll Which hear she'll, from yeah, her. she'll tell us a little bit about that in yeah, a minute. Yeah. And last but not least is one of my BFFs and our very good friend, uh, Louis Perlman. He's a New York City-based actor, comedian, teacher, writer, and so much more. Uh, he co-hosts and produced the pop culture podcast XOXO Riverdale. If you like Riverdale, check out his podcast. Uh, in the live streaming radio show slash podcast, Kick the Jukebox. His pieces have appeared on Gizmondo, Rebeat. Gizmodo. And Gizmodo. Yeah. Whatever. Gizmodo, <laughs> Rebeat Magazine, and Tough Pigs. Uh, for over 10 years, Louis has been a producer, director, performer, and teaching artists with the nationally recognized arts education company, Story Pirates, where he's performed in nationally in theaters, music festivals, and schools. Also, he recently premiered his first musical, 
in New York City. Erica and I were both there at the premiere, uh, entitled Joey and Ron, which is a 60s bubblegum music extravaganza. And it's effing great. It is uh, so good. The soundtrack is amazing. And Louis is incredibly talented. So these are our three panelists. And, and uh, yeah, welcome to Because the Beatles, y'all. Let's start by getting to know each of you a little better. Tell us a little about how you became a fan and how the band has impacted your life. Marge, let's start with you. I recall as a youngster hearing the name Beatles probably as young as five, six, and then eventually understanding that they were a music band. I recall being very attracted to seeing a picture of these four guys. And I recall cutting out a picture of, from Newsweek magazine that I held on to for years. That was like my very first thing that I had cut out to save because it was the Beatles. And then eventually their movies, you know, back then weren't really shown on television. You know, I recall being taken to see Yellow Submarine. That was probably the first movie I actually was taken to see in a theater. I would have been eight and, you know, fantastic, just absolutely awesome. And by 10 or 11, you know, a big fan, I, I, a, a big fan as much as you can be without having yet gotten into the album buying. You know, maybe I was just starting to get 45s. And I recall there not being a ton of stuff out there when I was starting to do that with the Beatles because they were, they had just broken up. I, I do recall reading, being a little kid and reading somewhere in a magazine, it was just a little blurb, like, yes, the Beatles have broken up. And I recall being so devastated. So I would have been around 10, 11 when this news really was kind of going around. And, and in whatever format I read it in, it, you know, I'm sure other newspapers, magazines were making a much bigger deal about it, but I just, whatever I happened to be reading at 10 years old, you know, it might've even been 16 magazine because by 1970, uh, um, you know, the Beatles weren't really represented that much in 16. And I, uh, and I was buying 16 magazine through like the late sixties. So, um, and then it just became, you know, where can I, you know, get more Beatles? You know, how can I see more of their films? How can I, you know, and then Beetlefest came around and I went to the very first one uh, that uh, Mark Lapidos did in New York in 1974. So I would have, have just turned 14. My mom took me and, uh, you know, we, we got a hotel room in the Commodore there. And um, so I'm a collector of Beatles memorabilia, you know, adore the music, of course. And actually, you know, and the rest is history. Um, actually even had an opportunity through my work as a producer for VH1 to meet and interview um, Paul a couple of times and Ringo a couple of times and meet Yoko. And um, so it's, it's, if you had told me when I was 10, back when I read that little blurb about, oh, the Beatles broke up and I was so upset you told me then that, you know, well, someday, you know, you'll get to meet you know, 50% of them. And I would have said, you're crazy. Ooh, what was that like to interview them? Oh, it was amazing. I don't really have, you know, it's those kind of moments that disappear because it's just, you can't believe that it happened. I mean, I have the interviews on tape and for example, Paul is just consummate professional, you know, calls you by your name you know, and he's fabulous. And Ringo was awesome too. 
So I can't, I have no, you know, my dreams came true then. I, I got to meet the Beatles that, you know, this was in the 90s. And, um, you know, sorry, I never got a chance, obviously, to meet or see George or John. But, um, you know, that meeting meeting Ringo and Paul was just, you know, dream come true. Dream come true. So um, that's that's kind of my fandom, you know, professionally been able to do things with them, you know, produce shows about them for VH1, short form programming, long form programming, and then just being a fan who just wants to get their hands on, you know, anything, everything and anything. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I love this about our community that we have so many creative ways to express our fandom. And sometimes people can even use their talents to make a living out of it. So fabulous. Let's move on to Louie. Sure. Thank you, Erica. I don't really remember a time where I wasn't aware of the Beatles. My mother uh, is a huge Beatles fan, and she has been a big fan since she was a teenager. She's a first-generation Beatles fan. And I vividly remember a music contest on a radio station. Uh, I grew up in Western Canada in Calgary, And there was a station that played the oldies called 66 CFR. And they did a contest where they played a montage of like, I think it was like 64 different Beatles songs. And uh, if you correctly guessed all of the songs, then you would win their entire discography on DVD. So my mom carted out, or not on DVD, I'm sorry, on CD. (laughs) That was the format of the time, not DVD. So it was their whole uh, discography on CD. So my mom carted out her old Beatles LPs and we tried to track down every song. And I think that that was one of the very earliest moments that I can remember. I was uh, 11 or 10 or 11 at the time uh, where I derived a lot of love from listening to records. I got a love from vinyl by working on that project with her. And um, I got a real love of the Beatles and I got a real peek into her fandom for the Beatles. And that's definitely when I really remember grafting onto them and enjoying them and enjoying their music. And then I went on to form my own Beatles fan club when I was in uh, junior high and high school, which, you know, like six of my friends joined to humor me, which was really lovely uh, growing up in the, in the late 90s. Uh, although they, they did like the Beatles as well. And uh, they definitely were a really early template for me in terms of developing uh, my taste in music. And I just want to say, like, last few years or so, this is really only something that's happened for me in the last few years, just talking as a, as a queer guy. I have been trying to recontextualize the story of, of my life uh, through my taste in music and seeing it all through a queer lens And it turns out that the Beatles fall really firmly into that story, which for me has been very exciting. And it really turns out that kind of everything that I like, there is someone associated or secretly, you know, there's a queer voice in in the music that I listen to. And that doesn't totally surprise me, but it's also really nice and refreshing now that I've I've done the research and, and figured that out for myself. Wow, that's really interesting. We'll definitely get back to that. Cool. (laughs) But first, let's introduce Caitlin. 
Caitlin, tell us about how you became a Beatles fan. So this is probably one of my favorite things to tell people. If it weren't for the Beatles, I would have never been born. So I have to take you back to Long Island, New York, 1975, when my parents met each other at a bar. Typical, right? And so my father sees my mother and needs a little liquid courage to go over and talk to her. So he gets up the nerve and he says, I think you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Can I go out with you Saturday night? And she goes, absolutely not. And he goes, why? Because I don't know you. And my father, when he thinks he's struck out, he goes, I bet you don't even like the Beatles. <laughs> and she goes, of course I love the Beatles. And bam, he was able to get a date with her. And they were married for 20 years and had my brother and I. So l legit, if it weren't for the Beatles, I would not be here talking to any of you right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so growing up, my earliest memories of the Beatles are that uh, Yellow Submarine was my favorite movie of all time when I was two. You know, dad would pick me up and say, okay, Kate, what movie do you want to watch today? And, you know, go up to the VHSs, and I would always point to Yellow Submarine. So my dad would slowly introduce me to other Beatles movies. So it's like, oh, well, if you like this, watch A Hard Day's Night. Oh, how about Help? Oh, here's Magical Mystery Tour. And then he had a lot of the documentaries also on VHS. So it's like, okay, here's the complete Beatles. Here's Imagine John Lennon. So by the time I'm four or five years old, I know more than the average, you know, adult who grew up with them. Just based on sitting down watching these movies with my father. And then, of course, I get my own CD player eventually. And then here comes, you know... The entire discography, and by the time I was ten, I was beating grown-ups at Beatles trivia. Get them when they're young. <laughs> mm -hmm. Get them when they're young. Yeah. yeah, and you know the Beatles obsession just kind of kept going and going, and I'm still obsessed to this day. And I'm thirty, and even my job is Beatle-related, and I'm very lucky. And not a lot of people get to say stuff like that. You know, I get to give tours of Beatles memorabilia to people from all over the world at Hard Rock. The Hard Rock in Orlando has the largest Beatles collection out of any Hard Rock cafe ever. I don't know. It's just amazing. And I've met so many amazing people through doing that. And then I got inspired to start, you know, my YouTube channel three years ago. And so I show off my personal memorabilia, my vinyl and, you know, and that's, of course, how I came across you lovely people. And I just have to say, I am so thrilled to finally be on this show because <laughs> I've been such a fan since you guys started. And it's just so thrilling for me to finally be able to relate to a Beatles podcast out there. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it's a breath of fresh air for this, you know, second gen community. Oh, my God. That's so nice to say. Thank you. <laughs> And that leads us right into the first topic I'd like to discuss. The sense of community and belonging in the Beatles fan community is such an important part of this fandom. From a queer perspective, did you feel part of this community or did you feel any sense of otherness? 
I'll address this. I, I felt a definite otherness. I came from a really small town in New Jersey. And so, you know, in school, there was like one, you know, two jocks, two stoners, two artsies, you know, like there was really nowhere to, if you weren't really sure where you belonged, it, it, it was kind of hard to be there. And I, being into the Beatles, which was not contemporary, you figure by the time I was in high school, they had already broken up. Um, it, I felt kind of, there was really nobody I had that I could share this with. And it was kind of disappointing, you know, in that respect. I went and saw Wings all by myself at the age of 15. You know, my mother and my aunt dropped me off at uh, the Coliseum in Long Island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Uniondale. Dropped me off and I went alone, you know. And yet, I, you know, so much of my Beatle experience as a youngster uh, and even through young adult was all alone. Um you know, I, I would go to the Beatle Fests and the conventions alone. Sometimes my sisters would get, go with me and my, my brother, and they are fans, but, you know, they're, and they're great fans, but not to the quite, like, you know, every year <laughs> uh, extent that I was. Um, so I was grateful when they did tag along, but a lot of the times I was by myself. And I was younger than that crowd in the beginning, too, because, you know, that first Beatle Fest was 74, so I would have been 14. And then, uh, you know, subsequent ones, I was still only a teenager. And a lot of the attendees, you know, as we had mentioned, are older, you know, older white dudes. And, um, you know, they say, if you want to meet somebody, you know, do things you like. Well, I was trying really hard to do things I loved in the hopes that I'd be meeting like-minded, you know, females, but, uh, at least as I got, you know, when I was older, um, you know, in my twenties and stuff, and that just never happened. And the thing with some of those gatherings though, is a lot of it took place, you know, you're watching movies in the dark, you know, unless you were there to hang out at the hotel bar, which I wasn't, I was going there because I wanted to see all the Beatles movies and I wanted to see the performances and I wanted to go into the, uh, you know, uh, uh, collector's room, you know, the uh, memorabilia room or rooms or whatever. I, I didn't want to hang out at a bar just in the hopes of maybe meeting somebody. So for me, being a Beatles fan has been a kind of a solitary experience, at least for the first half of my life, you know? I can really relate to that, Marge. Uh, I really like that you are bringing that up in this in this context because I've always had a really hard time reconciling my queerness with my interests and feel like for a lot of my life I've had my my queer friends who aren't particularly interested in the same music and culture that I am and I've had my uh my music and culture friends like Erica and Allison for example you know and I get along famously with Erica and Allison because when we hang out very often it's like we're talking we're speaking the same language and I don't actually feel like that's always the case with all the folks in the uh, LGBTQ community that I meet. But I do feel like we are out there and that that is currently changing. And I really attribute the internet to that in a way that I think is, is just really important to address and is exciting, especially for, you know, fans that are like third generation fans and fourth generation fans now 
that they that they can find each other a little easier. And for me, I have for a really long time sort of segmented my friendships based on these different interests that I have and then based on my need to hang out with people from the queer community. But I feel like for me, at least that's getting better and better. And, and I'm currently dating a guy who all through high school was a big classic rock fan. And when we started talking about that, when we started dating, it was just like such a relief. Mm-hmm. And even when I told him that um, <laughs> I was going to be on this podcast today, uh, he was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Congratulations. And I was like, yes, well, you know, uh, thank Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, and then he was like, if, if, which beetle do you think I am? And which beetle do you think you are? And my response was, um, well, Brandon, I think, uh, you're John and I think I'm Brian Epstein. And he was like, Ooh, <laughs> oh, you threw a curveball at him. I did. I did. But then he didn't like being compared to John because of John's like somewhat problematic behavior, especially as his life went on. He was like, I'm not John. John wasn't nice. John wasn't nice to people. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I know John, John was somewhat abusive and, and all that stuff. But I'm really just referring to the fact that John and Brian probably had an affair and that's really sexy and we're having an affair right now. <laughs> and, and also, and also Brandon, you're really smart. So that's why, and I think John was really quite a brilliant guy despite his demons. Brandon was like, yeah, I'll take it. I get it. And like, would Brandon have liked it better if I said he was Paul? I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe. Once I don't you know. read him some John Bryan <laughs> slash fanfic, he'll see what you mean and he'll be so good with it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I don't know, Louis. I feel like I might take a little bit of credit uh, for you being the Brian, because I love Brian. Not only because I'm such good friends with you and I think I ever claim Brian as my own, but you know. <laughs> you know, he was gay, he was Jewish. There's a lot of similarities. He liked the Beatles. I like the Beatles too, you know? <laughs> I think that queer people, because they have a bit of a sense of otherness, they uh, are very good sometimes at communicating why something is special to the masses. And I think Brian really had that gift. Um, and I consider myself an enthusiast. And I consider myself that that's sort of my job is to be on this earth is to be evangelical for the things that I love and spread them out to the world. And I feel like Brian maybe was quite similar in in his approach. They were surrounded by a lot of uh, folks who were, who were gay, Um, you know, through Brian's circle, through um, Indica Gallery, you know, through those circles. And, and so, you know, they were hobnobbing hobnobbing with the homos for you know, you know and then we got our episode title hobnobbing with the homos yeah you know and in germany they were certainly exposed to uh that so they're you know i mean as much as the beatles were known to have you know maybe made some you know, slurs derogatory comments teasing whatever you know they certainly were not I don't believe homophobic at all. No, I think they're probably one of the most open-minded people Mm -hmm. in the world. And I think to be a hippie in the 60s, you had to be. Mm -hmm. And it's cool even now because, well, I know this has never been confirmed or anything, but for Paul to have a gay daughter, 
you know, yes, I know nothing's ever been said in the press, but come on, girl, we all know. Um. <laughs> Actually, I think B might now be Ben. Um, I think they, he is, is now a trans boy. That's just a rumor on the internet, y'all. So don't come at me, but I think that's, that's what I've read. And why would the internet lie? Really? I had no idea. That's great to hear. That's awesome. That is great to hear. That's awesome. And I mean, I know that I felt really good when I saw McCartney in concert and he started pulling out the pride flag at the end of each show. And I'm just like, you go, man. You do you. That's really cool. I didn't know that he was doing that. That's very, very interesting. Yes. Was that in was that in regards to any um like uh any any song or anything that was happening in the show it's during the encore of every show he comes out with the flag of the state that he's performing in the union jack an american flag and a pride flag oh and so he's been doing that i want to say since like 2014 and that's around the time that we were starting to see beatrice who might now be ben may or may not still don't know, not confirmed, uh, you know, be out and about. So I think that's the way to, you know, support his child. That's lovely. I did not know that. Yeah, and I think that, like, talking about, like, whether the Beatles, what the Beatles, at the time, what their relationship was with, with gay people and queer people, it's important just to contextualize that they grew up at a certain time where certain things were culturally stigmatized and that the world is such a different place now and and for the time you know they really were all about you know i feel that their music is so expansive and, and thematically it's so much about broadening your horizons that that in itself is is ultimately a queer positive message even if you need to read into it a little bit you know and then there's certain songs like you got to hide your love away which i feel are like very, very intentionally queer analogies, uh, regardless of um, of whether they were interpreted as such at the time when they were released. For sure. And Louie, I know there's one song in particular that meant a lot to you and your family when you first came out. Would you be willing to share that story with us? Sure, yeah. So when uh, I came out, I came out at 17, and my parents are quite liberal people, but they had a hard time with it. It was the late 90s. We were in Western Canada, which was quite a conservative place. It def they definitely had a massive freakout, which they would agree with. They had a freakout. And that first day was really, really rough. And then my mom went to work, and she was listening to Flaming Pie at work. And uh, there's that song that Paul wrote for his son, Young Boy, which is all about you know, the core or the, the verses, he's just a young boy looking for a way to find love. And it really struck my mom and, and it helped her realize that, you know, I was just a kid who was trying to find love. And it really helped. I think it helped solidify for my mom why I was coming out to them, what was going on and, and why, you know, why it was important for me to express my, myself that way. And I think it, it gave her a sort of a sense of agency to help to help me instead of being frightened of, of what I had told her earlier on that day. So it happened really rapidly, but definitely that is part of the story. And it is a beautiful song. Uh, I think it's just a gorgeous song. Uh, so now whenever I listen to that song, that's what I think about is how that helped my mom come to terms with uh, 
with having a gay son, actually in a rather quick and efficient way, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a lovely story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's a nice thing. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I don't know what other people's perspective are, you know, Louise would be different uh, than perhaps Caitlin and I's, is what my reaction was to them in terms of attractiveness and sexuality when I'm a lesbian. Um, I, what I'll say is that as a kid, you know, as young as I could be, when I first saw a picture, I thought these guys were wildly attractive, you know, love, like I wanted their pictures everywhere. And yet thinking back as a kid, like how did I, what did that mean to me? You know, as a young, young kid of, you know, nine, 10 or 11 who loved the Beatles, it wasn't sex, but it was a, it was a, it was an attractiveness to their beauty, to their, they're really pretty. (laughs) And, um, you know, and then I, but then I had to think about it. Like as I got older, it, you know, did I ever, I think I learned some things about sex because of the Beatles, because I think in reading, you know, I, there might be some mention of some stuff in the very first biography I ever met, read was, you know, Hunter Davies. And there might, you know, I read that God, what, 40 more years, 45 years ago. I don't know. So I couldn't even tell you what parts, but I recall being titillated maybe by some stuff that I might've read in that. So there's definitely times where I learned a little bit about some sex because of the Beatles. Um, but then it, but then there was, and there may have even been times in my life where I actually felt a sexual attraction, but there was not a lot of fantasizing for me to want to be with a beetle. And then I guess I kind of realized, I think I wanted to be them, you know, or have them as a best friend. But I think even more so, I wanted to be one of them, you know, um, just because of how good looking they were and their, their genius with music and just their influence on the world's everything. And um, so for me, that it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about, you know, where, where do they play? And, and yet I still, I still to this day think they are gorgeous as they've gotten older. I still have pictures of them everywhere. I, you know, that's who I want to look at, you know? Um, and, and is it sexual? I don't know. I don't, not particularly, but may, you know, in some ways, I think in some ways it's it opens me up to be a little more fluid because I can be a little fluid in my sexuality. I totally relate in that aspect, but I don't think it's a it's a sexual thing. I think it's definitely like an admiration because I know as a kid I definitely wanted to be just like the Beatles. I picked up a pair of drumsticks at seven because I wanted to be Ringo. And I still think that Paul McCartney is without a doubt the cutest man ever in the world i think he's absolutely adorable but that's the thing it's adorable if i think about it any further in a sexual way i want to gag and you know dry heave you know that's just that's just not you know no (laughs) i was gonna make a really inappropriate joke but i won't no okay feel free to edit this out but my wife always makes a joke to me like oh just imagine his old ass balls there and i'm just like oh, oh no <laughs> that's a, i don't know if that's a mental image any of us needed but yeah, thank see, you so it, much it, it, no see yeah edit that out uh, um, but, nope. but <laughs> that was gold 
So it's definitely not a, a sexual thing, and I can also relate this to, like, being a young kid in the late 90s and liking, you know, boy bands. You know, I had posters of NSYNC all over my walls. Did I want to have sex with them? No. Then I slowly started putting pictures of Kate Hudson on my walls, and then my mom started thinking that there's something going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my my experience, of course, because of my attraction to men is going to be a little different. But something that I actually this this goes back to my time in in film school. Uh, I, something I learned about in film theory that I think is worth mentioning in this part of the conversation is. Um, the fact that androgynous, mainly men, have been marketed towards specifically young girls since the turn of the last century, really starting with Rudolph Valentino. And uh, there is an aspect of that sexuality that is very appealing to young heterosexual women because it's very non-threatening. And definitely, if you look at the way the Beatles were presenting and dressing and uh, before Brian got a hold of them, and then the way <laughs> that they looked after Brian got a hold of them, Brian really androgenized them. So much so that, you know, like, we have to address that the haircuts at the time were um, totally uh you know it was like why do they have girl haircuts you know like that was definitely a discussion around the beatles when they came out in the 60s because their hair was a little longer and them in their matching suits and for me definitely there have been periods where i've watched footage of the beatles and gone oh my god those guys are so gorgeous they're definitely not exactly there's something about them that isn't exactly my like flavor of sexuality um for me uh i certainly wouldn't turn down any of the beatles circa 1964 if somehow i travel back i wouldn't either proposition. Me yeah, i don't know i don't know if that's a gay thing either but but they definitely occupy aesthetically i think a uh sort of an overlapping diagram of other uh music stars that i love who kind of embody that that nice androgyny you know and i i definitely put like prince or david bowie into that category who i really love and i also would put jane weedland from the go-go's into that category as well with her short pixie girl haircut uh you know who's another artist who i just like totally adore so there's definitely i think a queerness to the beatles which allow us to kind of you know celebrate them for that uh, and I think totally it's interesting to talk about it in terms of like our level of attraction to different sexes, for sure. I'm I'm salivating, too, but yet I, for a completely different reason. But that doesn't mean that I don't like fangirl any less than any heterosexual fangirl. Like, I'm sure that, you know... Allison and Erica and I, like, we could just go apeshit over any Beatle at any point of any time, and it wouldn't matter that I'm a lesbian. Like, that t sexuality, I don't think, you know, really matters in that case. You know, I'm gonna, you know, throw my panties up there and throw my bra at them, too. I mean, why not? You know, let let's get at it. <laughs> we'll be right there with you. <laughs> See, I see. I don't think sexuality has anything to do with that level of fandom. Fandom. Talking about levels of fandom, it's new. It's all about nuances, 
right? And it's like, definitely we can be um, attracted to the artists that we love, but we can also want to be them as well. And we can also want to be artistic like them. I don't think that anybody is, uh, you know, a fan of an artist only for one reason. It's not an either or thing. Yeah, you know? there's yeah. nuance there. Yeah, there's, absolutely. Yeah, but getting back to the whole, like, where are the other lesbian fans? Can mm-hmm. someone tell me? Right? No, I've always wondered. In the direction, you know, because I'm single. I, I would love to meet somebody who uh, Oh, is- my God, we should play Have. You met Marge? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, now I feel like it's our job, my job, everybody's job to find your your perfect match, Marge. I'm like on a matchmaking <laughs> mission. Everybody says I should, you know, do it off the internet, but um, I've always been a big, I, I, as I mentioned before, I've always, I believe that you meet somebody through doing stuff you love. Sure. And, and that's really where, you know, I spend my time and, and, and interest doing is, is my, is music and movies and, and pop culture and, you know, that, that kind of thing but I, I agree it's it's incredibly hard it uh you know I feel ya uh the, Brandon is the first guy I think I've ever dated that I have this much in common with taste profile wise you know and I'm in my late 30s and I've certainly had my share of dating so I think it's very very difficult and I think that it's important to find common ground with people regardless of whether they have all the same tastes as you or not. But it's also, you know, really important too to have that shared language. And I I personally think it's somewhat worth waiting for, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my wife isn't the biggest Beatles fan in the entire world, but she has a respect for them. And Mm -hmm. she is the first person that, you know, when we were dating that I didn't have to teach a million things to about Mm -hmm. art and pop culture she was basically on the same level as me and that was when i was like okay if you like it then you got to put a ring on it nice (laughs) so i I made it happen i put that on lock down yeah and i've always said you know about as long as someone is is nice and we have shared values that i'm more than happy to share uh one of my interests with them but they have to be as enthusiastic about sharing their interests with me and i like to date enthusiastic people and have relationships with people that are enthusiasts about things and that can sometimes be really really hard to find because you know something about being queer that i think needs to be acknowledged is that we all are dealing with our own set of queer trauma and those that type we're we're all traumatized because we're, we're we're somewhat marginalized and i'm not saying i'm not saying that we're broken uh please don't misconstrue that but we have certain ex- shared experiences as queer people that straight people have not had those experiences and i find in the gay community that a lot of my people uh that i end up dating or i'm friends with are really just handling being functional in a oppressive world. And they're not thinking too much about, oh, gee, I wonder what Ringo was doing in 1966. You know what I mean? Which are the things that we think about. 
And that just means that we may see the world through a bit of a different language. Uh, but I am very sympathetic of that and understand that maybe I'm somewhat privileged that I'm able to have those interests and revel in them. Um, whereas other, you know, uh, gay guys my age might have been dealing with different things that were more difficult for them. That's a really interesting point to think about the layers of trauma some people need to process before they can even get to being able to care about something like this at the level we do. Totally. It is a privilege, yeah. I'm, Louis, just going off what you said, do you guys feel that the music and the Beatles fandom is a way to process that trauma? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I went through a pretty... Yeah, I went through a breakup pretty recently, and when I would listen to the music, and mostly it was the Beatles. Yeah, I listen to other stuff too, but you know, Beatles is they are there all the time. I felt better, you know. It it may not have lasted, you know, beyond the song, but it you know it definitely helped, you know. And they make you know I I. I found myself pouring myself more into my my memorabilia collection recently to take my mind off of being kind of bummed out, you know. So I I'm I'll pick up one of the books in my collection or I'll start looking through, you know, other other items I have start uh uh categorizing uh, categorizing them and cataloging stuff and just enjoying the collection because if I sit around and wait for somebody who's going to want to watch all that or do all that with me. I don't know. That's, you know, like Louie was saying, you're not necessarily going to find, you know, I'm not necessarily going to meet somebody who's, you know, a Beatle fan at the obsessive level that I am. I just have to hope like Caitlin, that it's somebody who respects them, respects my interest in them and, uh, and, you know, allows me the time I want to spend to, you know, indulge in it. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have a wife who is extremely supportive in that way. I mean, the room that I'm sitting in right now, I mean, used to just be, you know, for the cat. And then one day she was like, you know what? We're going to turn this into your record room and we're going to turn this into your music room and into your office. And she's just so incredible and so supportive, even though she doesn't, you know, necessarily want to watch 11 hours of the Beatles anthology with me but you know she shows her support in other ways oh that's so awesome to have a partner like that oh she's the best in the whole wide world yeah to, to answer your question Allison about the the music being part of the dealing with the experience something that I think is really amazing specifically about the Beatles is that they speak to such universal truths. And I think that's why they hit in such a big way in the 60s and why they continue to be relevant. But I consider them as, you know, as a human, such a, such a way I look at the world through their music. And that's a wonderful jumping off point for new friendships from people that I might have less in common with, I would say more than anything. Um, you know, with a lot of my straight friends who, who love the Beatles, it's something for us to talk about. And it's something that, that brings us together. And I think that that was kind of one of their primary missions, whether it was conscious or subconscious that they were trying to do. I really feel they, they were trying to unify the world through what they were doing musically. 
as much as maybe there were times because I was a lesbian and wasn't feeling confident in not not feeling uh, confident in that, but just not knowing, you know, what to how to proceed with my life and stuff. You know, I found the Beatles would give me inspiration to do bolder things like pick up a guitar, play it at an open mic, attempt, you know, write songs. And that helps me be me. And that's part of, you know, lesbian, you know, I'm a lesbian, I'm a woman, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, a professional, I'm, I'm a, a fan, you know, I, I'm all these different things, but the Beatles, you know, definitely gave me the uh, inspiration to try to be bold, to be me, you know, and being, you know, part of the gay community is, is part of me, you know, so I, they helped me in that way. Yeah, I agree with you there. It, I feel like it's just a bunch of layers to me. It's like, I'm Caitlin. I'm Jewish. I also happen to be gay. I'm a Beatles fan. That's it. It's just my taste in music, and it just happens to be my sexual orientation. I have a question for us that might be kind of fun. What Beatles song would you recommend that a Beatles fan listens to in honor of Pride Month that you Ooh. think speaks to the queer experience? A song that I heard twice today on my walk, my morning walk, was Magical Mystery Tour. I would say yes. Magical Mystery Tour. That's a great one. I really don't want to give that basic bitch answer, but I, it keeps just floating back in my head with All You Need Is Love. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because, you know, because that, that's it. That's yep. as, that as, it. as simple of a message as it is. All you need is love and love is all you need. It's hard to top that one in terms of the message from from those guys. Uh, I agree 100%. Uh, I've got one that's very silly, but is also kind of nice, and it's about recontextualizing our culture. Uh, I think everybody should listen to Twist and Shout, because the twist was invented at the Peppermint Club, which was a gay club, or at least that's where it was popularized, right? Yeah, so the Peppermint Lounge, it was like this little club off of Times Square, and it was owned, I think, by a group of Italian mobsters who owned a bunch of like strip clubs and gay clubs, um, you know, up and down like 8th Ave and into Greenwich Village. But yeah, Peppermint Twist was yeah, kind of gay bar. And <laughs> uh, that's where the dance, the Peppermint Twist, originated with the song by Joey D and the Starlighters and... Uh, yeah, I guess the rest is history there. So it was popular. It was popularized at a gay club, and uh, it's just a little piece of uh, gay culture and history uh, thrown into a Beatles song. That is fantastic, and I don't think we could end on a higher note than that. I like that. Marge, Caitlin, and Louis, you're all so wonderful, and thank you so much for being here today to help us celebrate Pride. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This is so much fun. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, what a pleasure. Well, thanks again to Marge, Louie, and Caitlin for sharing their stories and helping us celebrate Pride Month. That was an episode like we'd never had before and was fucking fabulous. Yeah, we. it's funny, Erica, you and I have been talking about doing something like this for a long time because it's so interesting. We met Marge uh, at the symposium, um, the White Album Symposium in New Jersey, like what? a year and a half ago yeah that was like september 2018 something yeah, yeah. And she she was like dude we should totally talk about this i love it and we were on board but finally we got to do it 
Yes. That's so exciting. Awesome. Awesome from everybody. New friends. Yeah, so much totally. fun. I know. Connections. Yeah. Beatles fans. And if you like what you heard, you can read more information on them, find links to their podcast, YouTube channels, and other projects in the show notes. Hell yeah. And, you know, as always from us, thanks for listening to Because the Beatles. And you can subscribe to us on the iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. Uh, give us a rating review so the Beatle Maniacs can find us. Stream us on Spotify, yada, yada, yada. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. Remember, you can always email us your thoughts, feelings, concerns, and deep Beatle dreams at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. And complaints, but I'm going to guess you don't have any. I hope not. They don't. They don't. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.